Well, we are uh, doing part two of the Sermon on the Mount series uh, tonight. If you missed part one last week, uh, you've got to go listen to it. Super good. Uh, I listened to it again today. Pastor Tim, man, he, he killed it in a good way. Like, in a, he uh, sometimes... That can be taken bad, but he, he, it, was, it was really, really good. And I love just the way that he defined blessed and the way that he defined the Beatitudes. And, and uh, man, those are all just like, you know, those are attributes of a Christian. Those are attributes of a believer. And so he gave us that intro. Um, just to recap, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest teaching that we have from Jesus. And, it, and it's important. I think sometimes, especially the younger generation, sometimes we can hear teaching and we just like, no, I'm not going to listen to it. It's teaching, but it's this, this is God teaching. This is God, this is God talking. And so it's important. And we've got to know that Jesus came to do a lot more than just die on the cross for us. That's important. That's awesome. It's amazing. But he spent three years teaching us, showing us how we were supposed to live. And he, he was, he's teaching us about the kingdom. That's our, obviously our theme this year. And you could really call the Sermon on the Mount, you could call it the constitution of the kingdom. It teaches us how to live in the kingdom. He's really, he's really trying to get us back to that garden life, back to what Adam and Eve were meant to be, how they were supposed to live. And we've got to know that Jesus, yes, he is our savior with his life, death, and resurrection. He's our savior, but he's also our Lord. Like he's in charge, he's the king, he's the master. He is, uh, John 1 says, he is the word. And the Sermon on the Mount are his words. So they're, they are very, very, very important. Now the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom. It's not the way to salvation, it's the characteristics of one who is saved. So it's not do these things and you are saved, it's you are saved, so do these things. <laughs> it teaches us about how Jesus changes us from the inside out. Now, you read the Sermon on the Mount, and clearly it is impossible for man to do these things in his own strength, to live this thing out in his own strength. We cannot try hard enough. We don't, it's, it's not about, Jesus isn't telling us, get to work, like work harder with your own self-discipline and your own self-effort. Instead, he's inviting us into clinging to him and allowing him to transform us from the inside out. Now, we saw last week that the source of our character is the Beatitudes. All the Beatitudes are all about leaning into him, starting off with blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who recognize their neediness for God. And when you recognize your neediness for God and you cling to him, he begins to, he transforms your heart, which then manifests in outward behavior. So the source of our character comes from already being saved, already being a kingdom citizen. We are made kingdom citizens by clinging to him. In the Beatitudes, Jesus taught us what kingdom citizens' lives look like. These are internal changes that lead to the external changes that we find in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. I love Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we are not told in the Sermon on the Mount, live like this and you will become a Christian. Rather, we are told because you are a Christian, live like this. So we've got to understand pursuing, pursuing good character doesn't lead to Christ-likeness. Pursuing good character doesn't lead to Christ-likeness. Rather, pursuing Christ leads to Christ-likeness. <laughs> if, if there is no change... If there is no, if, if you're not conforming into the image of Christ, it is because there is no pursuit. 
It's because there is no relationship there. It's because there has been no regeneration because you haven't submitted to him as Lord. But a changed heart that comes through pursuit of him always leads to change conduct. Once Jesus established that his disciples will display an internal change of character through repentance, he then, through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, gives us specific examples on how character will play out in practical real-life situations. Now, if what, you, if what you claim about yourself is true, then it will be demonstrated in your life. The Sermon on the Mount reveals what sanctified living looks like in the lives of Jesus' disciples. So let's pick up where Tim left off in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Now, being salt and light is, is directly connected to displaying the internal characteristics of the Beatitudes. Jesus was talking to people who were going to be slandered, who were going to be persecuted, who were going to be betrayed. And he's still talking to people who are going to be slandered, to people who are going to be persecuted, to people who are going to be betrayed. Because, friend, it's not popular to have a biblical worldview today. It's not even popular among pastors to have a biblical worldview today. I sent a statistic to Paul and Tim the other day that said 61% of lead pastors standing at pulpits do not have a biblical worldview. And up to 88% of youth and children's pastors do not have a biblical worldview. I don't even know how you call yourself a pastor if you don't have a biblical worldview, but a lot of people do apparently. It's not popular to believe that the Bible is inerrant, infallible, the word of God. It's not popular to believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's not popular to believe in and live out the moral ethic that's taught by Jesus and his scriptures. It's not popular to believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. It's not popular to believe that men and women are different and distinct from each other and that there's only two genders. It's not popular to tell people that they are sinners in need of a savior. But friend, that's still the gospel. We are sinners in need of a savior. There is a lost world that needs to be found, but, uh, but they, don't know, they need to know that they're lost. They've got to know that they're sinners. It's not popular to tell someone that they're an orphan in need of a father. <laughs> that they were created. It's not popular to tell people they were created on purpose and for a purpose. It's not popular to tell people that that, to tell, to tell women today that inside of your womb, that that is a life, that it is a baby that has been created by God, that is not a clump of cells. It's not popular anymore. It's not popular to tell people that their purpose is to bring God glory. These things can get you fired, canceled, locked up, even killed in many parts of the world. So the, so the temptation is to blend in to lay low, to tone it down, to even adapt to culture, to change scripture, to change the meaning of Jesus's words. But we don't have the authority to do that. The temptation is to live like everyone else. Just, just stay quiet. Don't tell anyone what you believe. And so this is where Jesus addresses those temptations here. He says, you are salt and light. 
You are salt and light. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. You are salt and light. And what he's telling us as believers and his disciples here, he's telling everybody that's listening, if, they're, if they were believing in him, this is a state of being. You're either salt or you're not. You're either light or you're not. You're either saved or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. You're either a believer or you're not. Jesus is talking about the impact that we're supposed to have on their surroundings here, calling us salt and light in the world. When you think about salt and light, salt and light influence everything that they're exposed to. And so he's showing us here that we don't get to hide. That this is something that we have to live out. That this is a state of being and this is who you are. And let's, let's talk about these two for a second. Salt, you think about salts, I, salt is awesome. Salt adds flavor. Salt, salt also, especially in this time, salt was used to preserve things. But in this context, Jesus is really talking about flavor. And salt really enhances flavor. And so Jesus is showing us like he created the world and he put us here to bring out the world's flavor. And, and, and that we're not all, you know, if you put too much salt on something, it doesn't taste good anymore. And so, you know, in a way, we don't get all clumped up together, but actually that we're sprinkled all throughout the world, all throughout our community. We don't clump up in church and just hang out here all day long. We actually are supposed to bring salt everywhere that we go in, in the grocery store, in our workplace, in our, in our, maybe with our family who, who, who is lost, who doesn't know Jesus. We're supposed to bring salt everywhere that we go. And in our schools, we're supposed to be salt. We are sprinkled through society and culture to bring the reality of Christ into those places. So do you enhance the flavor and quality of your workplace? Do you enhance the flavor and quality of your environment? Right, and this is just like, again, this is a state of being. Like, do you have joy that's unexplainable? Do you have peace that passes all understanding? <laughs> See, being a Christian is so much more than just going to church and trying to get your neighbor saved. <laughs> you are salt. If you're tasteless, he says, what good are you? Then you're actually, you're no longer salt. Seasoning with no flavor has no value. A and a, so a follower, be, because this, the taste of salt is distinct, we're supposed to be distinct and set apart from the world. And so, if, so a believer that looks like the world isn't a believer. And Jesus doesn't leave a lot of room here. He's the one that says it. Actually, in Luke, he says, like, if you're salt with no flavor, like, you're not good for manure. Gross. <laughs> if we make no effort to influence the world around us, then we really make ourselves of little value to God. You know, let me, you know, pose this to you. Like if you believe that the father is good and you've tasted his goodness, that's why most of us are sitting in here. Don't we want other people to taste the same thing? Don't we want others to know this goodness and this freedom that we found? People should taste the salt of our lives, the influence that we bring and what we have. And just as salt seasoning brings out the best flavor in food, we must influence the world around us for the kingdom. Salt, salt also, salt cleans and perseveres things, uh, or preserves things. And so like, you know, you think about putting salt in a, putting salt in a womb, or if you've ever soaked 
um, soaked your hand or foot or something that got cut in, in, in some water in, some, in, in a bath, it, it cleans it out, it purifies it, it makes it clean. And, and, and that's what we also do, like the salt of our life, like we make those things clean. And I actually uh, read a study today that in, in, a, in a workplace, or this is fascinating to me, in a workplace or a city, um, a town, even a nation, they found that if there are, if just 5% of the people in that workplace are true Bible-believing, sold-out Christians, that morality begins to rise and immorality begins to decrease. Just 5%. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so we're to be, we're to be salt. <clears throat> And now if the, the, you know, if the enemy, oftentimes, if he can't get us to change our beliefs, then he tricks us into being quiet. That's where Jesus addresses us too with the light part. We're a city on a hill. We're safety, refuge, nourishment, community. You know, I, 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 think, I think looking at these two things, I think this, so like, the, the, you know, sharing the gospel with the world, there is like a go and make disciples. There is you know, you know, taking the gospel to the nations of the earth. There is that, you know, sharing that with, with lost people. But, but then there's also, there is the, the city on the hill part of the gospel where we establish a kingdom in the midst of darkness where, where, where the lost look and they go, there's something different about that place. There's something different about that family. There's something different about that person. And it's drawing me, it's attracting me to that, that I, like I see that and I don't even understand it, but I want to be a part of it. And so there's this, not only like this going out, but there's also where we establish a kingdom and it's, it, there's like a, there's a, a come, come all who are weary, come all who are thirsty. Come all who are in the darkness and need a place of refuge, need a place of shelter, need a place of nourishment and community. And I think this is a huge part of being a city on a hill. And, it, and it, an easy example is just this, like this campus here. I think about the, the, the church and the school and the different buildings that we have. Like this is like a redeemed piece of land here. Like this used to be a swamp. This used to be a swamp, but, but, but a kingdom man and woman and Hetty and Dawn and said, no more is this going to be a swamp, but this is going to become heaven on earth. And then, then where they left off, pastor Tim and Terry said, no more is this going to be a swamp, but we're going to put a church right here. We're going to put a school right here. We're going to put a youth center right here. This is going to be an equipping center for the saints, and it's going to be a city on a hill. This is going to be a place for believers to find freedom, safety, refuge. See, we are light and light always influences darkness. And I think about just like, you know, just, just the, the size of our church and the size and, and, and how many families come here. And I think about the, the, the coming in and going out that takes place and that this is a place of like a lighthouse, but then like we go and we shine bright everywhere that, everywhere that we leave, everywhere that we go. You know, light, it, the light is good. People are drawn to the light. It brings warmth, it brings vision, it brings security. Can people see the light in you? Right, it says that you're not gonna cover it up. You know, don't be a basket-headed, a basket-headed Christian. Don't cover up the light. When you allow darkness to influence you, you're putting a basket over your light. 
when you're quiet, but you should speak up, when you're living in hypocrisy, when you're not telling others, when you're ignoring others, when you're covering up the power, the goodness of God that is on the inside of you? Do you shine bright when things aren't going your way? Right? Something goes wrong at work. Your day didn't go as planned. What comes out of you when the pressure is on? Right? This is our testimony. Do people ask you about the smile on your face? Or do you have a scowl like everybody else? When people, see, this is the being salt and light. When people are complaining about your work environment, about your workplace, about the weather, about gas prices, about what, do you join in or are you different? Are you salt and light? Right? There should be, there, there, it shouldn't, it shouldn't just have to be like, I'm, you know, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm sharing it with everybody all the time. Just talk, constantly talking about, uh, constantly talking about it. But even just like your life lift where there's something that's like, why are you so happy all the time? Why are you not stressed out about the economy? This just happened in your life. How do you still have peace of mind? Let me tell you, it's Jesus, man. <laughs> it's Jesus. John chapter one, verse one through five says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. See, we have the light because we have him. If we have relationship with him, the light is gonna shine through us. If you're not stewarding relationship with him, that light will begin to dwindle. But when you steward that relationship with him, his life becomes your light. You begin to shine out. And then it says the light shines in the darkness. See, the life was the light of all mankind. And so mankind that believes in him, that light begins to shine through them in the darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not or the darkness cannot overcome it, right? Because darkness is just nothing. Like darkness is the absence of something, but light, there's actually like photons and all kinds of other things that I don't understand, but it's actually substance. It's actually something that goes out and it destroys, it vanquishes light. And so next time you're thinking about the spiritual warfare going on, just think about like, it's darkness. It's literally nothing. Turn the light on. God bless you with that. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight says, for once you, in, you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So people come to the light, salt goes on food. We do both. We're both. Both are influencers. Both change the world around them. We are in this world, we're not of this world. We're in the world, John 17, we're in the world, we're not of the world. That's talking about the spirit of the world, not the earth, right? You're not a stranger, just like you're not a stranger, you're, not a, you're a stranger and foreigner to the spirit of the world, but not to the earth. God put you on the earth for a reason. Not to just get saved and die and go to heaven one day, but rather bring heaven to earth. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, just practical example. Dirty joke is told at your job. Do you conform and join in and laugh? Do you isolate yourself and sit on the other side of the lunchroom? <laughs> or are we salt and light by living out kingdom values and graciously explaining it to people when asked about it? 
Again, you know, people are complaining about gas prices, inflation, and different kinds of things. Do you find yourself joining in in the complaining? Or are you able to explain that you've got a peace because you have a Father in heaven who's going to provide for your needs one way or another? All right, let's move on. Verse 17. Jesus says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappears, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me help you out here. The righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, they were way better than you. You're junior varsity compared to them. Like not getting off the bench, right? Right, you got Jeremiah 29, 11 memorized. They've got the Torah, the first five books of the Bible memorized. God bless you with that, right? Like, and so when Jesus, understand the context of what Jesus is, when he's saying this to people, they're going, my God, how is it possible then? There's no way. That's the point. That's the point. He didn't, he, Jesus did it because you couldn't. Jesus accomplished the law. What does, what does that mean? Jesus, he was, he, he, was very, he was very clearly saying here that he wasn't coming to get rid of the Old Testament. When he said that he wasn't doing away with the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. They, they had the Septuagint. They had the Old Testament already. <laughs> he, the law and, the, and listen, think about it. The law of the prophets, that was the word of God that they had. And now they're hearing it from the word of God. And Jesus isn't going to say, don't listen to that stuff. That was just my dad when he was mad in the Old Testament. No, Jesus is the word. He is the point of the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were pointing to him. And he was saying, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Well, what does that mean? To fulfill their intended purpose. He lived in perfect obedience, something that we could not do. He was the final sacrifice that washed away our sins and gave us new life. By washing us clean, he allows the Holy Spirit to enter in us. The Holy Spirit now writes the law of God on our hearts because the law could only try to control us from the outside. But Jesus came, washed us, lived perfect, fulfilled the law, meaning that he obeyed it completely. If you ever hear anyone say that Jesus broke the law, baloney. He obeyed it to perfection because you and I couldn't. Now, what Jesus did not obey were things that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees added to the law. But the law of God, Jesus obeyed perfectly. And so when he went to the cross, he took all of sin upon himself and with him sin died. The power of sin was broken. He then went into the grave and there was an exchange and he gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so listen to me, every believer in here, you, even if you're struggling with something, if you, if you have called on the name of the Lord, you've made him the Lord of your life, you have faith, you're, you've, been, you've been saved, you're saved. Understand, God does not look at you as a piece of dung. He looks at you as his child. 
you're, not, you're no longer a wretched sinner saved by grace. You were for five seconds. Less, actually. Once you put your faith and your trust in him, Jesus gave you his righteousness. So now you are as righteous as God is righteous. That's the gospel. You are as, and that's hard for us to believe because we know how screwed up we are. But listen, when you begin to believe that you are as righteous as God is righteous, you actually begin to walk out that righteousness. You're actually then empowered to walk that out. You're actually then empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like he has called us to live. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfills the law. So we're no longer, this is Romans 6, 7, and 8. We're no longer, we're no longer slaves to the law. Jesus didn't do away with it, the, 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 which it, we could do a whole teaching on this just by itself. But just to be quick, there were three main types of laws that we find in the Old Testament, that we find in the Mosaic Covenant. You had uh, ceremonial laws, you had civil law, you had moral law. The ceremonial law it would, is, is the, the, the sin offering, the sacrifices, the animal sacrificial system, all of that stuff. It would be sacrilegious for us to do any of those things now. Why? Because Jesus was the sacrifice. He fulfilled the sacrifice. All of those sacrifices were pointing ahead to him. He fulfilled all those. There's no reason for us to, we don't have to obey those anymore. Then you get to the civil laws. The civil laws we can learn from, but the civil laws we no longer have to necessarily obey. We can learn principles from them, but they were for a nation in exile. They were for a nation in the desert. They were for the Israelites traveling around, but no longer we held to those. But the moral law is not done away with. We are still called to obey the moral law. That's still there. It's not like God made up all these rules and then, like, and then Jesus came and was like, well, now you don't have to obey them anymore. That doesn't, that's, that's not consistent with scripture. So actually, so when you read the New Testament, understand nothing is, nothing is done away with in the Old Testament if it's not specifically referred to in the New Testament as being done away with. Just a good hermeneutical law for you. Just like, and that's like the study of, of the way that scripture works. It's just a good understanding that it's not done away with from the Old Testament unless it specifically says that it's done away with in the New Testament. Cool, right? And I am thankful that we can now eat shellfish <laughs> and pork. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, so, it, so if anything, with the moral law, Jesus seems to take it up a notch for us. <laughs> he fulfilled the requirement, but he didn't do away with the standard. It looks like he took it up a notch because he went after the heart of the issues, and which is what he's going to address in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Because in this, this will, I'm getting into Paul's next week, but he, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so Jesus is showing, it's not enough that you obey it on the outside. I'm coming to make sure that you obeyed it on the inside. Because if the heart transformation is what leads to the outward transformation. And if you're not obeying it on the inside, you're going to not be able to obey it on the outside. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. All of your behavior is rooted in who you think you are, who that you believe you are. As a man thinketh in the deepest place of who he is, that's how he's going to behave. So he was coming after our hearts. And just because you're doing things right externally doesn't mean that you are the right kind of person internally. 
That's the point. You can't be one way on the outside and another way on the inside. You might be able to for a while, but eventually that behavior is going to come out of your heart. The righteousness that Jesus demands must work its way from the inside out. So you're looking at this, who can really love God with their whole hearts on their own? Who can really love their enemies in their own strength? Nobody. But in the Old Testament, God pointed ahead to a new covenant that was going to be made available through Jesus. Jeremiah 31, 33 says that he was going to write his law on our hearts. Ezekiel 36, 27 tells us that he was going to give us a Holy Spirit that not only was going to give us a desire to obey him, but he was also going to empower us to obey him, which is awesome. Now, it, it may not be instantaneous, but the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, are we growing? Are we being conformed into the image of Christ? We've got to know, we really do now have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees. We really do, because we have the righteousness of Jesus. We have the righteousness of Christ. We are no longer under the Mosaic covenant, but a new covenant. The old covenant was built on the law of God. The new covenant is built on the grace of God. The law was given to make mankind holy, righteous, and acceptable to God, and Jesus accomplished that. He made us holy, righteous, and acceptable to God. Now, the problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with man. The law was good. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with man and our own evil desires. We've got to understand just because the law has been accomplished and we've been made holy, righteous, and acceptable to God doesn't mean that we now get to live however we want to. There's such a fine line when you talk about this. Like, it's so easy to get in the ditch where people are like, well, that sounds like legalism. Well, it sounds like you're permitting sin. No, I'm, I'm talking about holiness. There, there's, there's, there's a path in between legalism and lawlessness, and it's called holiness. And when we begin to believe that we are holy, we actually begin to walk out this holiness. But we cannot, we cannot conform Jesus into our own image. We cannot make an idol out of him. He self-defines himself. We cannot separate the word from his words. And he actually tells us how to live, but it comes through, the root of it is relationship with him. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. What he's saying is that if you abide, if you remain, if you love me, you're gonna obey me. 1 Peter 2.16 says, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. And listen, if you're looking at this through like a legalistic standpoint, you're gonna be like, man, I don't wanna be his slave. But if you're looking through this for, from a love standpoint and you understand the freedom that God offers and how amazing and how incredible he actually is and that he gives us abundant life, you're gonna read that and go, man, sign me up. I want to be his slave. I want to do everything that he's told me to do because I know how incredible and how amazing he is. And I've seen that through obedience that I am blessed. Remember Tim defined blessed last week. It's that you're, you're happy, you've got joy, no matter the circumstances, no matter the material wealth that you have, no matter what's going on around you, you are blessed and able to, like you, you get to do this. We get to walk this out. It's not like I have to obey him. It's man, I want to obey him. I don't want to grieve the spirit. I don't want to break his heart. I know that he set these laws up because he does designed life to work a certain way. And I want to walk in the cool of the day with him. I want to go back into that garden and I want to walk in the cool of the day with him. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, don't, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? So don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, commit adultery, are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, or treat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He goes on to say in verse 12, you say... I'm allowed to do everything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Another translation says, Paul says, everything is lawful for me, but not everything is beneficial. We've got to understand that we are not our own. We were created for God, by him and for him. So we submit our bodies and our spirits to him. And anyone who thinks that the grace of God is a license to sin has not read their Bible. What kind of grace leaves me bound? That's not grace. I was a slave to sin. I was addicted. I was depressed. I was lonely. Man, I needed something that was going to set me free. I didn't need something that was going to leave me in all of my dysfunction. I didn't need something that was going to leave me in all the death that I was producing. I needed something that was going to bring me into life. Real grace doesn't leave you in sin. It empowers you to overcome it. It is the favor given through the revelation of the goodness of God that causes you to run to him, which is the antidote to every piece of dysfunction in your heart and life. I'm going to read that again. It is the favor given through the revelation of the goodness of God that causes you to run to him, which is the antidote to every piece of dysfunction in your heart and your life. Romans 2, 4, it is the goodness of God that leadeth men into repentance. In John chapter 8, when Jesus stepped between that woman and her accusers, what what empowered that woman to go and sin no more was was not that Jesus said it to her, and it wasn't, and Jesus didn't say it in a way of like, go and, and you better not sin anymore or I'm going to find you and I'm going to throw that stone. That's not the way that he said it. It was in his goodness that he stepped between her and her accusers and, and mercy triumphed over judgment. She didn't get what she deserved. And in his goodness, he wooed her heart. And it was that encounter with the goodness that, in, that then empowered her to go and sin no more. And in order to overcome, we've got to keep encountering that goodness over and over and over and over again. That's what he means by abide. We live with him. We remain in him. Grace is not a license to sin, but the power to overcome sin. I'll end here because I'm, I'm past my time. A.W. Tozer said this, the Holy Spirit never enters a man and lets him live like the world. If there is not a process of transformational change to become more like Christ, then there has been no positional change. The the true Christian ideal is not to be happy, but to be holy. The whole purpose of of God in redemption to make us holy and to restore us to the image of God. To accomplish this, he disengages us from earthly ambitions and draws us away from cheap and unworthy prizes that worldly men set their hearts upon. If you do not desire to be holy, I do not see that you have any right to think that you are a Christian. In the Sermon on the Mount, we're, living, we're, we're talking about how to live in the kingdom. And as he sets this up, he tells us that we're salt and that we're light and that we're influencing the world. 
And then he says that he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And now he's going to teach us how, from that revelation that we have his righteousness, that we have relationship with him, he's now going to teach us how to live in this kingdom. And so I want you to hear this tonight. The kingdom is now and not yet. The, king, the reality of the kingdom, the reality of heaven is that it is now and not yet. And I want you to see that big picture. I want you to see that globally. The kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is, is, is spreading. We are to make it, make, we're in the process of making disciples of all nations. We're in the process of Revelation 11 that the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Since the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom has only expanded and only grown. It's never diminished. It's only growing. Jesus' resurrection is actually way more powerful than Adam's sin. Romans chapter 5. And I also want you to know, so you see it globally, but I also want you to take it down into your own life. The kingdom is now and not yet in your own life. You need to understand, you are perfect, and you're also being made perfect. Y'all stand with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, that you have set us free. Lord, we want to please you. We want to do what you've called us to do. God, we're so grateful that you, that you came, that we didn't have to come up and get you, that you came down to us, that you laid your life down for us, that you made us righteous. Now, because of that, because we, we have revelation of that goodness, God, we want to do what you've called us to do. We want to live like you've called us to live. We want to walk in freedom. It is was, was for freedom that Christ set us free. We want to continue to walk in that freedom and not become a slave to sin, not, be, not go back to the thing that you have brought us out of. Lord, I ask that anyone, anyone in this place who, who may have felt like a legalistic bent or, or a lawless bent, Lord, I ask that you, would, that you would bring revelation. You are the Holy Spirit. You are the teacher. I ask that you would show us what this path of holiness looks like, that you would show us how we're supposed to live. Lord, I ask that no one in this room would feel condemned, but they would know that they are children of God, that they are sons and daughters who have been adopted into your family. Lord, I ask that you would empower them to overcome the sin that so easily entangles us, that you would empower them for righteous living. You would empower them to be conformed into the image of Jesus to, so that not, not just to bring life to them, but to bring life to everything around them, God, that everything that they touch will bless and no weapon formed against them will prosper. And everywhere that they go, that they bring freedom and that when they go in the grocery store, that they are salt and light to the cashier and they're salt and light to the, to the lady they meet in the frozen food section, that they're salt and light to the guy in the gas station, that they're salt and light to, 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 to the men and women that they work with, the, the, the people they come encounter with every day, that they're salt and light to their lost loved ones. God, that everywhere that we go, that we shine bright for you, that we are attractive to you, that people would go like, I don't, I don't really get what you believe. Like, I don't really understand, but there's something different about you. And I want to meet this Jesus Lord, help us to be that salt and light in our community. Lord, I ask that this, that, that this campus, that Christian ministry church would just be a hub of revival. It would be a hub of prayer and worship, that it would be a hub where people can come and get delivered from demonic possession and get delivered from addiction. And, 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 and people would come in here whose marriage is on the brink of divorce and that they, that they would have just a super natural reconciliation would take place. Lord, those, those who come in with broken bodies, that as, as they come onto this campus, that they would experience healing in their bodies. Let this be a place of freedom, a place where, where people come and encounter the goodness of you. Let this place be that Christian Ministries Church would be a city on a hill. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful to you that you have brought the kingdom here. 
Teach us, Lord.